Greetings, I'm Bishop Aaron Williams. You listen to Bishop Presents Kingdom Builders. Kingdom Builders are sermons that are preached and taught from My Father's Business Fellowship Church in Kirby, Texas. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please share and subscribe. God bless you. Remember to always be about the Father's business. Bishop Presents Kingdom Builders on demand right now. So one of the things that is made very clear in the book of Mark is that in the kingdom of heaven, there will be a massive inversion of power. Do you know what I mean when I say there will be an inversion of power? Maybe you've heard things like this before. The weak will lead the strong. Things like that. We, it's very clear from the book of Mark that there is going to be a massive inversion of power. And not only that, it is while we are on this plane of existence, people are not going to understand it. Even believers are going to have a hard time with it. We know this. And I, and I think you don't even need to look into Scripture to know that that's hard to comprehend. This inversion of power that Mark talks about. But it's something that you need to know about the book of Mark. This is reinforced by the Beatitudes. It's reinforced by the Old Testament. And it is confirmed by Jesus Christ. But there is, a, there is one in the, there's one account in Mark that makes it extremely clear. And once you've heard it in context, it's very clear that it's something you need to know about the book of Mark. And that is that true power in the kingdom looks polar opposite from true power in the empire. The empire will tell you To get power by having others serve you. Power is seen in your wealth or your influence. Power is decided through violence or majority. The might makes right. Jesus throws that completely on its head. This is why many people had an issue with Christ. It's one of the reasons he got put up on a cross. He throws that idea completely on his head. Through through the example of children... He makes it very clear. And once I tell you about this story in context, it might shock you. I feel like we've kind of led you astray with the front of your booklet this morning. Because it looks all frilly and cute and let the children come to me. And that's typically how we tell this story. But once you've heard this story in context, you may see it in a different light. You see, it's through my own children that I have learned what true love is. My kids have never cared about my wealth my power, or my strength. Only who I am to them, and that I am there for them. My challenge to you today is why can't we love Jesus for the exact same reasons? It's not about power, and it's not about wealth, and your position in the church. It is simply about a Savior who cares and loves for you. Period. And we should in turn love Him for those things. Not because he's powerful. He is powerful. But because of who he is to us. There's a difference. When you love somebody for what they can do for you. And who they are for you. Amen. You can say amen back. See. See what happened. Is I went to a southern church in Texas. And they let me preach. And everybody got all excitable. And so now. I'm looking at you. (laughs) Amen. All 
right. Okay, it's my fault. I did that. All right. Inversion of power in Scripture. In many places in Scripture, the power structure of the world is thrown on its head. 1 Samuel 16, 11, David gets anointed as king. Luke 6, 12 through 16, how Jesus chooses the apostles. Those are not who we would have picked to run the board. At all. You know, it's more, it's more likely than not that most of the apostles were in their teens. Did you know that? They were teenagers. And I look at my, I look at my older two, Noel and Gavin, and I, oh no. Oh, like we say in the South, oh honey. Oh no, child, no. Okay, the first will be last. In Matthew 20, 16, Jesus just outright says it, that the first will be last. Based on these accounts, we see clearly that what God the Father and Jesus Christ see as true power is the exact opposite of what the world sees as power. How could the broken and poor own the kingdom of God? And you see, ever since the fall, ever since Genesis 3, we've run into this problem where we are at odds with our creator. It's not just in the question of power. We are really at odds with our creator. Our flesh rails against the truth of the creator. Have you felt that in your own life? I do. What we must understand about power in the kingdom is that it is not vested in human ability. It is not vested in human strength. And it is not vested in human politic. It is vested in Jesus Christ. And it is received from the Holy Spirit to the believer. No man-made power is going to suffice here. No man-made power is going to get it done. This is early on in the year when we talked about self-propelled versus spirit-propelled. A self-propelled person will seek this power to do good. A spirit-propelled person will receive power from the Holy Spirit. And then use that power for the good. Amen? Amen. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This power doesn't mean military might. It doesn't mean political power. When this was spoken, the room was probably smaller than this. The size of the Christian church was probably smaller than Chico Alliance Church. How hard do you think that was for people on the outside to really believe that? Power. I ain't got no money. I'm begging on the street. What power? And therein lies the problem. You see, that's where we go. When we think power, we think wealth, influence, politics. Because that's where the world goes. That's where the flesh looks. The spirit does not look there. And when you try to get your spirit to look there for power, you will find yourself very empty on the inside. But it is not a king or a president that affects the change. It will be the poor and the discarded. And that makes society very nervous. Look throughout the history of the world. When the downtrodden, the poor, the oppressed, when they rise up, what do we typically see? We hear words like revolt, riot. I hear you. I hear you, sister. But I will tell you this. Society does not like it when the oppressed rise up. The Roman Empire did not like it when the Christian rose up. But how did, how did Christianity rise? Did it rise through actual power? Not initially. That took three to four hundred years. In the first three to four hundred years, we rose by the Spirit. 
There's no way this little offshoot Jewish religion should even exist today. Society's power structure would tell you that. This is not how things work. This isn't the corporate model. But that's because we serve a different power structure. And people are shocked when we don't fight for the table scraps of society's power. But do we always do that? Does the church always do that? No. Sometimes we do go for the table scraps. What does scripture say about true power? Paul in 2 Timothy 4.17, he says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. You see, true power will tell you that inner strength comes from you. It's all about you, baby. It's all about what you need. Only you can make it happen. Well, I'm here to tell you that is not how the Lord Jesus Christ sees power. That's not how the church sees power. It's not how we should seek power. Power doesn't come from within us. It comes from the Holy Spirit through us. That's where our power comes from. And when we try to use other types of power, we fail. And what's even worse than failing is when we succeed. You know what I mean by that? What's even worse is when we use the world's power in structure and influence and we succeed and the church is massive. 7,000 people all being told a lie. It's even worse when we succeed in the world's structure. Back in Joshua, Joshua 1, 9 through 11. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Kingdom power comes with backup. They are going to be with us. Christ will be with us wherever we go. Do you believe that? Yes. Or is that just like a Sunday thing? Well, you know, uh, who was I talking to? I think Miss Grace, can I tell on you? I tell, okay. So I asked Miss Grace. So I walk up to Miss Grace. She's doing the dish over here. And I'm like, Miss Grace, how are you doing? And she looks at me and I, in her face, I can just tell it's been a rough week. And she didn't say it, but in my mind, I was hearing it because this is what we say in the South. I'm blessed. I'm, I'm just blessed. Oh, Lord, I'm just I'm just blessed. Are you? Miss Grace had a rough week. I'm not going to tell her business up here, but she had a rough week, right? Do you think she really felt blessed when that happened? Probably not. But that's what we're taught to say, right? We, if, do we really mean it when we walk up to people and go, hey, how are you doing? What do we want to hear? I'm fine. How are you? And that's the end of the conversation. That's what we want to hear. We don't want to hear, hey, how are you doing? Well, I didn't make rent this week and I'm probably going to be out of house. And my, my husband's leaving me. My, my, my son hates me. And at that point, you're probably like, oh, my goodness. You're backing up, right? Like, ooh, let me back. I, I have made an error. Because you don't really want to know. But see, our God does not work that way. We have a God that has, we have backup. It's not just polite words and cute phrases. When God says he's with you always, he means that. He does not mean he's going to fix your problem for you. And he does not mean he's going to, especially doesn't mean he's going to fix your problem when you put yourself in that situation. But he's going to be with you to, so that you can learn from it, so that you can teach someone else later. 
Our faith comes with backup. Our power comes with backup. It's not just cute words on a page. Power to those that have faith and not worldly power. Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If we really believe that. If we truly, truly, truly believe that. How would we change? How would we change? Matthew 17.20. He said to them. Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now that one gets thrown around a lot. And there are pastors out there who like to use that one. Well, you know, the reason you're poor is because you don't love Jesus enough. If I could, if I could explain the prosperity gospel in one sentence, that would be it. The reason you don't have money is because you don't love Jesus. If you just love Jesus more, the money would come. I watched as a pastor said on television, we have people in our church that's on welfare that can make a $200 donation. You understand what's wrong with that? See, that's us trying to use the world's power structure. And it's gross. Mark 10, 52, and Jesus said to them, go your way. Your faith has made you well and immediately recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Go, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Where where did the power come from? From faith. Is that faith in faith? I got hope and hope. No, those. It irritates me when people say, well, I just, you know, I have faith in faith. What does that mean? What do, you, what do you have faith in? Because I'll tell you what I have faith in. I have faith based on experience in my life with Christ Jesus, who has yet to fail me, that he's going to take care of me. I may not like the outcome. I may not like how it ends up. But I do know he has a plan. And it has never failed me. It's gone the way I didn't want it to sometimes. Because it's all about me, right? It's about what I want to do. Okay. Matthew 21, 21. And Jesus answered them, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree. But even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. What's the key tricky phrase there? Truly, I say to you, if you have faith and what? Do not doubt. doubt. Now, I doubt sometimes. I'm a human being. I'm, I'm going to doubt sometimes. And a lot of times I start to doubt when things don't go my way. I don't like it when things don't go my way. I'm an alpha type personality. If you haven't noticed. You know, I get some laughs. I'm an alpha type personality. When I don't get my way, I get angry. I don't know how else to say that. You got to pray for me. Okay. But I do doubt. Well, and is, I don't know how God's going to get us out of this. I'll tell you one that's very relevant to this church. On January 10th, when I looked at our funds, and we were at less than $1,000 for the entire church, I was like, oh, Lord, What's, what can you do here? What on earth could you do here? But I didn't give up. And you didn't give up. 
And now we're sitting over 20,000 in the bank. We've got 80,000 downstairs. We're doing great. Do you think that's something John did? No, John is not John is not a CEO. John doesn't do budgets. Ask my wife, ask Thomas. Those are the two people that are involved in finances in my life, and both of them know John is terrible at finances. It's not something John could do. That is something through faith and no doubt from this group, that is why we are where we are. Because you have not doubted. And you've been faithful. And thank you. You should, you should take, not pride in that, but you should love the fact that the Lord is still moving through you. Because if God did not want Chico here, Chico would not be here. See, that's another trick. We think somehow that God needs the church. God does not need you. God desires you. God wants you. Do you want God? Careful when you say yes. Because we talk about all the great lovey-dovey stuff, but we don't talk about the correction and the instruction that comes with that. And if you're ready for that, then yes. Yes, Lord. When Scripture speaks of power, it isn't speaking about power in the way that the world sees it. Do you, not, do you see that from your own Scripture? Jesus teaches a new reality in this kingdom. It's under this understanding of power we meet Jesus in Mark. Also understand the disciples are like many in the world and even in the church who do not understand the power inversion of the kingdom. A lot of us have a hard time with this. We struggle with this. It's hard for sinly flesh to understand that church is not about me. That's hard to do. Do you think it's easy for me to just go, well, church isn't about John. I stand up here a lot. You think, you think sometimes I'm like, yes. And I've said it, my church. That, those words have come out of my mouth. This is not my church. This is God's church. You are God's people. I'm blessed with the opportunity to stand up here in front of you, but you're not mine. John can't save you. Jesus saves. We see the disciples struggle. We see the disciples struggling with a teaching that is not new. The concept of the weak leading the strong is an Old Testament concept seen throughout Scripture, throughout the entire exile of the Jewish community. It is there and it is clear. This is why Jesus gets upset. The word used is indignant. Have you ever taken the time to think about Jesus Christ as indignant? Think about that. What does indignant mean? To literally lose your mind on people. In the military, we call that the knife hand. When we get angry with people, that knife hand comes out. What did you say? Have you lost your mind? I think sometimes, I think sometimes Jesus knife hands us. He knife hands me a lot because I don't respond any other way. He's got to talk to me like that. And I'm thankful that he does. But most times, and when Jesus became indignant, who did he become indignant with? Not the sinner. The religious people, the churchy people. Jesus didn't like churchy people. I, I hope you understand that. He was not a churchy people person. He didn't like that. He didn't like us. Why? 
Because we're more interested in the world's power structure than we are in the gospel of Jesus Christ at its core. They don't understand because for generations of people strayed from this concept. This is why Jesus gets upset. They should already know. And so should we. Mark 10, 35, 45 clearly shows this gross misunderstanding of power in the kingdom. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, what do you say to them? Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Let's just stop right there. Have you ever prayed that prayer to Jesus? Now, Jesus, I want you to do whatever I ask. Doesn't that sound teenagery? Okay. And he said to them, now, Jesus, is, he's the bad. Because if someone would have said that to me, it would have been, if my subordinates would have said that to me, I'd have lost my mind. I would have become indignant. Jesus does not. What does he say to him? What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in glory. Now, why do they want that? Because in Jewish tradition, where were the places of honor? Next to the people. In, in not, just Rome, not just Jewish tradition, Roman tradition, Greek tradition. The closer you sat to the king at the table, the more powerful you were. Grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, oh, we're able. There's another teenager answer. We can do it. We got this, man. Yeah. No. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink. And you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And what does Scripture tell us over and over and over again? What is, who is that prepared for? Look at the Beatitudes. It will tell you exactly who those seats are prepared for. The least of these. People that seek power... God's not interested in that. People who seek change in their lives and in the community around them, Jesus wants that. People who are humble enough to say, I'm not, I can't do it on my own. Lord, help me. That's who sits right and left. Not the king. Hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. So now what has happened? Now there's a power struggle between the disciples. See, we have, sometimes we have this idea that the disciples were like these amazing people and nothing ever happened, nothing ever went wrong. They argued all the time. This may come as a shock to you. The disciples were human beings. And they were human beings that were raised under the Jewish structure of power. And to them, what mattered most is who sat close to the king, who sat closer to Jesus. So, of course, they got mad when, when James and John asked for that. Maybe if we stopped focusing on who sits closer to pastor or who's got some position, maybe, just maybe, we could affect the world around us. Just maybe. Now, if you understand that power inversion is central to the gospel, you should be astonished at this request from James and John. When you read that, it, the red flag should be going up. And let me tell you this, if, if that's happening in your life, if you're seeking that kind of position, red flags should be going up in your own life. 
But we do this all the time in the modern church. And as Jesus is saying, we are not ready. We're not really ready to be in that position. Can you drink? Can you in fact drink from the cup Jesus drank from? Are you ready for that? Do you know what that means? That's what he's trying to tell James and John. You, you think you know, but you don't know. Right? It's like the princess bride. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. You don't realize what you're asking for, but you're going to get a taste. And what happened to the disciples after Christ? What happened in the 30 preceding years? How many of them survived to adulthood? How many of them survived to, into their 50s? One? John, right? Wrote Revelation. Blind. Actually, Polycarp wrote it. Cool, fun story. We can talk about that later. One. Why? Well, some of them were crucified upside down. Some of them were stoned. It looks like they were ready at some point. Were they ready in the moment? No. They thought they were ready, but they're not. And sometimes as a church, we fool ourselves. We think we're ready, but we're not. But if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Just food for thought. Let the children come to me. So what do children have to do with power inversion? Well, the answer may shock you once you understand the story and the context of the children coming to Jesus in its cultural context. So let's look at Mark 10, 13 through 15. Now people were bringing the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Here we go again. Those excellent disciples just putting in real good kingdom work right now. Sending people away from Jesus. Right? Nothing says I've listened to everything Jesus has taught me like kicking people out of church. Disciples rebuked those who brought him. When Jesus saw this, what happened? He was what? Indignant. Hmm. And he told them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. That's usually where the story ends and we talk about lovey-dovey, how children are innocent and all this great stuff. Completely missing the context of this whole story. Now you look at that story and you say, of, cor- of course Jesus said, let the children come to me. He loves the little children. We just sing about it. Jesus loves me, this I know. Well, the Bible tells me so. Children were not seen this way in the ancient Roman world. Children were not seen as the future, the, the, these cute little baby. This is not how they were seen. They were seen as property. Children were considered property. They were actually considered less than slaves. Slaves ordered children around. Did you know that? They were not even considered on the level of a slave. They were lower than slaves. In rich household, the primus slave actually ordered all children around. They were in charge of them. They were considered property until the males were of age and the females were property most of their lives as they were used in marriage uh, agreements to attain other things. It's in this context that makes sense that the disciples who haven't really understood the reality of an inverted power structure of the gospel rebuke and attend to chase off these low, nasty kids. Look at it through the disciples' eyes. They were not seeing cute babies and children. They were seeing property. These things to be had. How dare they 
come to the king. And what does Jesus say? What does Jesus do? He loses his mind. Do we do that? I certainly hope so. In context, it makes sense. When Jesus says, let the children come to me and do not hinder him, he is making clear that they matter to Jesus. The lowest of the filthiest low not only matter to Jesus, but are going to run the kingdom. Are you you ready to hear that? Are you ready to be told that the dirty, the lowly, the uneducated, this kingdom is theirs? I don't know. It's easy to say, yes, Lord, I know. It's a lot harder to put into reality. Does our power rest in the poor in spirit? Do we actively seek them? Or are we looking for the guy with the doctorate in biblical studies? Well, he, there can't be nothing wrong with him. He's been to school. Jesus is interested in real people with real problems. My question is, are you? Can we handle the inversion of power? Can you handle it? Can you handle this reality? Because this is the reality of your kingdom and your God. Look throughout the Gospels and Acts. It took a long time for the disciples to understand the inversion of power in the kingdom. And you know what? They did get it. And a lot of times it came at the cost of their life. But they did get it. Are you able to handle this? Will you sacrifice everything for the drunk homeless man? The mother with eight kids and no income. Doesn't matter how she got there. That's the problem. We want to know how she got there. That's not your job. That's judgment. Your job is to help now. Shouldn't matter to you how she got there. That's for God to deal with. How about you let God be in charge for a little while and love on somebody? Let's do that. If you are not ready to do that, you are not ready for the gospel truth. Because that is what Jesus desires. If you are not ready to do that, if you are not ready to love unconditionally, that means without condition. Doesn't matter where they came from or how they got here. Doesn't matter how they got themselves in the position they're in. If you're not ready to love, then you're not ready for the gospel. Now, does that mean we just agree and just we're okay with everything people do? No. That's not what I'm saying. Sin is sin is sin. But what I am saying is, how about you let God judge the sin? Because that's his job. And you love on the person. Because when the person sees love, when you are loved, you typically want to be around people that love you. So you'll want to be around the church more. Then maybe they'll learn about the Christ who loves them and some of the laws that maybe they've been breaking and sinning. They're not going to learn that with your judgment. They're not going to learn that from your judgment. Are we going to let the children come to God? Are we allowing the lowest of lows to come here and come to Christ? Because if we are barring them with our attitude, with how we feel, with our traditions, we are the problem. You ever notice that Jesus is never the problem? Not even with atheists. I have never met an atheist that said... I can't stand Jesus. Never. Usually, I'll at least hear he's a good moral teacher. I like what he says. He's got good stuff. Now, we know the truth. Amen? 
He's more than just a moral teacher. Right? He's the savior of the universe. But who does the atheist typically say they have the problem with? Us. It's us. And that's okay. We, that's the beauty of humanity. We can fix this. We can allow the Holy Spirit in our life and he can change us into people who our hearts break for things that break Christ's heart. Not just the things we care about. Are you going to let the children come to God? Or are we rebuking and hindering them because of their place in this fallen world's power structure? That's something you need to seriously consider. Something I have to, I wrestle with all the time. Like I, 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 was, I was speaking with someone earlier. When I write these, sometimes it hurts to write these. Because I write these because I'm talking about me. And I figure there's at least two or three of you out there that are feeling what I'm feeling. Or struggle with the same things I struggle with.